Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast. In association with Line Trust. Specialist Fund Managers. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. Manchester City have the Premier League trophy in their possession. Cardiff will be among their opponents in the top flight next year. And Arsene Wenger takes one last sad look at the house that he built at Ashburton Grove. We'll cover all that and more as we reach the business end of the business end of the domestic season. We'll head to Merseyside to speak to Chris Bascom, who is preparing for a Champions League final, reporting on it, not playing in it at this stage. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by our friend from the north. It is, of course, Luke Edwards. Luke, how are you? I'm okay. Good, good. That's that's not bad at all. Uh, Luke, it would be remiss of us not to start with a word on Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday night when we know little more than we did mm. on Saturday night. He's recovering in intensive care after an operation, which went well, according to the Manchester United statement, uh, following a brain hemorrhage. This is just profoundly upsetting news for anyone with even a passing interest in football. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the fact that my mum texted me about it last night it says it all well certainly from, from a personal level for me because um, he's just he's just a giant of the game isn't he and I think we all had that view uh, which we always make the, um, the mistake in life of thinking people are indestructible um, and I think our, our image our perceptions of Alex Ferguson is this uh, human force of nature you just don't you know you, you, it, it, it's a huge shock and I'm the only sort of comfort we can take is that, that the statement did say it was positive and we just got to wait for news and, I'm, and I have to say the reaction within football has been, you know, I'm quite cynical about modern football, but it has touched me how everyone sort of the well wishing and and the way everybody's come together, you know, even rival rival fans have have, have expressed their their affection for him as well. So let's just hope he pulls through. Absolutely, yeah. The tributes that have come in from basically anyone with any association to him who played with him at United, uh, some of whom left on quite bad terms, I think just goes to show how highly thought of he is uh, and we wish him all the best. Moving on to the Premier League, Luke. It was mm. Chelsea 1, Liverpool 0. Chelsea now amping up the pressure on Spurs for the final Champions League slot, two points behind in fourth. Are they going to sneak in at the last? It would be very Spursy, wouldn't it, if they did? I, I do like that expression. 
And I think the last time I was on, I described Tottenham as the the nearly men. Um, I don't think they've done anything to dissuade me that they are just a nearly team. I mean, the to be brutal, they've been no more successful under Pochettino than Newcastle were under Kevin Keegan and Bobby Robson. I mean, that's just a statement of fact. They haven't won anything and they've qualified for the Champions League a few times. Yeah, I mean, it, it does set up a little bit of drama on the final day and... Um, I think we thought Chelsea had lost their way, um, sort of their season was going to fizzle out, um, but they, they seem to be coming again. So yeah, it, it does lead a little bit of drama. And um, actually, do you know what? I, I could see I could see Chelsea sneaking that fourth place. Yeah, a very gritty performance from them against Liverpool. They really seem to struggle with Hazard, uh, Liverpool. Will this be a bit of a cause for concern, do you think, looking ahead to the Champions League and uh, no. that fellow Ronaldo? No, I don't think so. I think... I think it's human nature. We see it time and time again at this stage of the season on some of the results we've seen in the Championship today, uh, saw in the Premier League today and, and over the weekend is that when teams just slacken off even a few percent in a game, they're, they're quite likely to lose it um, at, at the top level or any level of football, actually. So I just think Liverpool's minds are on the Champions League final and who can blame them? I, I don't think any Liverpool fans will be crying into their drinks this evening about losing to Chelsea and I just think that filters through I mean you know it's all about it's all about trying to beat Real Madrid in the Champions League final now so I don't think it's a cause of concern no Fair point Manchester City nil Huddersfield nil a crucial point for Huddersfield on the day that City get their hands on the trophy very impressive clean sheet for them Everyone had written off their three remaining games saying, oh, they're not going to get any points. But as you're saying, end of the season, weird stuff happens. It does, and you were going to put money on Huddersfield winning, weren't you, Tom? Uh, gambling is not big or clever, but I did have money on Huddersfield winning. You did winning. have Huddersfield. Well, you almost won. I did 18, almost didn't 18 lose. to 1. That's too, that is too long money. in a three-horse race, effectively. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's just a strange time of year. It happens every year, and then every year we somehow seem to be surprised that these strange results happen. Um, yeah, no, Huddersfield, have, I, I would have... They were probably my favourites to go down. I think um, David Wagner's done a done a fabulous job. I and mean, we shouldn't ignore the fact that I think they've got the second highest net spend in the in the league this year. So they, they have spent a lot of money to improve the squad, but it's still a remarkable, remarkable success story for them if they're staying up. Very impressive trophy presentation as well from Manchester City. Seemed to go on for about an hour. Pep Guardiola wore a Man City shirt for the trophy presentation. Have you ever seen anything like that before? A manager putting on a shirt, it seemed wrong. It did seem wrong. It'd been worse if he came out in full kit. Ah. You know, uh, there is an expression, I believe, that's popular on social media for people to do that. Um, But uh, no, uh, yeah, it it was just a little bit weird. Uh, uh, Yeah, odd. I mean, he's sort of, I I quite like Pep Guardiola's fashion statements normally. I just think it's just weird. Yes, an unusual And he brought decision. all his backroom team in as well. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Arsenal 5, Burnley nil in Arsene Wenger's final match at the Emirates. Poignant speech at the mm. end from Wenger. An unexpected thrashing, really, of Burnley. It's hard to begrudge him, this sort of send-off. It's, no, I don't, I, again, when we were talking about the, the, the sad news about Alex Ferguson at the, at the start of the podcast and the reaction to Wenger stepping down at Arsenal again has been been very touching. I mean, it was only uh, last week, was it, when Ferguson was presenting with that that trophy on the pitch at Old Trafford? You know, those two things, the sort of you know different circumstances, obviously, but um, two greats of the game and the re- and, and the goodwill and reaction to it has been very positive. But isn't that just typical of Arsenal though? In the last sort of five six years, when the pressure's off, going smash a team five nil, playing brilliant football when there's absolutely nothing left to play for. And really consolidate that Europa League place yeah. as well. Meza Ozil not in the squad for Arsenal, uh, allegedly a back injury. Do you think he's still smarting a little bit from the dressing down he got from Martin Keown on BT Sport in the week? I doubt it. I mean, I don't think I would be particularly bothered about anything Martin Keown's got to say, quite frankly. He seems like quite a ranty man, Martin Keown. I think he rants over breakfast, doesn't he? If like, someone's not 
not close the cornflakes box properly. No, I, mean, I actually wouldn't be surprised if Ozil sold this summer. Oh, you see it countless times in football. Players sign this new lucrative contract. They get a nice big bumper pay rise and then they get a move in the summer to another club. So I guess a lot of that will depend on who the new manager is going to be. But um, I could I could definitely see Ozil leaving Arsenal. This who summer. would have him though? Oh, there's bound to be somebody. Paris Saint-Germain. Sure. I don't know why I've said Paris Saint-Germain, but I'm the first club that came into my head. You're probably going to be uh, starting a rumour cloud that ends up on some very questionable websites on Monday now, Luke, with that suggestion. Yeah. At the bottom of the table, we are waving goodbye to Stoke City after their 2-1 defeat to Crystal Palace. Obviously, Stoke will be in the Championship next year. Is this a time for them, do you think, to reinvent what it is to be Stoke City? Or should they go back to what Stoke City used to be? Well, Stoke City were the old Burnley, weren't they? That well, that was. Does that make sense? That What Burnley have done under Sean Dyche is what uh, Stoke did under Tony Pulis, if you remember. They, they came up, they consolidated, they went with a, without being patronising, a certain type of player, a certain type of character, in the dressing room, it's it's a largely British and Irish squad, seasoned in English football. Um, not necessarily the top flight, but certainly really really get you know good knowledge of the English game and grew up in the English game. And the problem Stoke had is they, I mean they they tried to be a little bit more ambitious. They tried to change the dynamic of their recruitment, and it and it's backfired. I think. And the the rumours that come have come out about some of the players at Stoke and their attitude. I think that's one of the reasons why they found it difficult to get a manager because I think that dressing room is there is it's got problems. It's it's got divisions in it and I think there's players there who you know even Shakiri did an interview before the game this weekend in which he basically said I'm leaving Stoke. Odd that because he ran over to Lambert didn't he after scoring the goal which made me think oh perhaps he perhaps he's a really yeah. big fan of Paul I, Lambert. I, I I read that interview and I just thought that's you know that's I've, I've I mean obviously I'm based up in the northeast and I've I've seen that happen so many times with Newcastle players and I just I, there's just problems they got their recruitment wrong they've had a good run but you do sort of absolutely so many teams in the Premier League what have they actually achieved in the time that they've been there certainly in the last you know it was mid-table finishes wasn't it they had the FA Cup final appearance they had the wonderful season in Europe under Tony Pulis but for so many Premier League clubs that they've sort of been treading water really and I think relegation will hurt but of all the clubs who are going down, I would expect them, because of the owner, because he's such a good owner, I think he'll cover the losses. I'd expect them to come straight back up next season. What about the stadium, though? It can be frighteningly loud at the big Staffordshire Temple of Gambling. But presumably <laughs> it, it, it can also go the other way. It could be a little bit volatile, especially if they do end up struggling a little bit in the second season. Well, that's always the risk, yeah. I mean, that is always the risk. I, I think the fans have been great at Stoke. Uh, I think they've been a big part of how they... Because if you remember when they came up, they were. Again, the comparison with Burnley is a valid one. They they weren't expected to do anything but go straight back down. But they, they fought for everything. The supporters were a big part of that. There's a lot of positive atmosphere. It's just... And we were talking before, before we came on air, when you're only ever really sort of two or three bad transfer windows away from being a bad Premier League club, not an established one. And Stoke are, Stoke are exactly that. They've paid the price for bad recruitment. What about West Brom, Luke? 1-0 against Spurs on Saturday. This is absolutely on, isn't it? Topless lads in the stands in tears. Even if they do go down now, they're going to be going into the season in a much better mood than you might have expected. Well, it's Alan Pardew's relegation though, isn't it? The turnaround since he left, I mean, everybody at West Brom I suspect the owner, chiefly, who I don't think is there day-to-day, must be, why on earth did they not get rid of him sooner? Nobody knew Darren Moore was going to do such a good job. Yes, there is an argument the players need to look at themselves, but I think there was there were huge problems under Alan Pardew. He'd obviously 
you know, I think he'd fallen out with several members of the dressing room. If they'd have got rid of him earlier, that they would, that it would have been the great escape would have been on. I, I still can't see them getting out of trouble. They've just left it maybe one or two games too late, unfortunately. But yeah, it's a remarkable job that Darren Moore's done. And, and, and you know, I was talking to people from the Midlands because they played Newcastle last weekend and they were saying that, that there's not really an appetite to give him the job. The players want him. I know caretaker managers who do well, it's a risk, but he, he certainly should be considered for it. I mean, Ben Ben Foster said after the game, he said it, and he actually used the phrase, I'm speaking for the entire dressing room here. We want him to get the job. And if they're going to keep that core squad together next season, then why not give Darren, give Darren Moore the job? I mean, I think, I think he's done more than enough. Whether he wants it, he's non-committal, but I, I'm sure if they said to him, you know, do you want to do you want to take the job? And it's, and it's actually very similar to Chris Hewton. Uh, was, Chris Hewton took control of, of Newcastle when they were when they were relegated and, and proved himself as a manager. Nobody thought Chris Hewton was, was ideal management material. We're now talking him talking about him as being a part of this crop of of young sort of British and Irish managers, Eddie Howe, Chris Hewton, Sean Dyche, who've done absolutely fabulous jobs in the Premier League. So I hope Darren Moore gets that chance at West Brom. What I really liked about Darren Moore on Saturday was his non celebration of the goal, just extremely cool. I think that speaks well about his uh, abilities to keep his head. I think it does, yeah. I mean, I couldn't do that, could you? Well, no, but I've never managed at the highest level. I'd have been more of a clop, I think, sort of gurning, fist pumping. That's what that would be me. I could see I don't it. think I'd leave my... I don't think I'd ever sort of keep my cool in the technical area. I think I'd try to, and I think it would eat me up inside. Of course, West Brom's fate depends on Swansea versus Southampton on Tuesday. Only a draw keeps West Brom live. How do you see that game going? I have a feeling Southampton might just do enough now to get out. Oh, I know they had that sickening 96-minute equaliser against Everton this weekend, which we're going to talk about in a bit, I'm sure, but they're not scoring enough goals. And I think this might be their time to go, Swansea. Yeah, it was a bit of a sickener for Southampton up at Goodison Park. Mark Hughes whinging a little bit after the game about a free kick given about a minute before Everton actually scored the goal. I would say to Mark Hughes, maybe look at Nathan Redmond not running back uh, very quickly from uh, being annoyed about that free kick being given against him. Maybe look at Ryan Bertrand giving the ball away just before Everton scored. Would you agree, or am I being too harsh on Mark Hughes? Um, no, I would agree with you, Tom. I think managers uh, can get stuck in this trap. And I'm, I, mean, I suppose that we in the media are slightly responsible because the amount of press conferences I'm in when the sort of conversation well has run dry and uh, someone will chirp up with a, what did you make of the referee's performance or what did you make of the decision, da 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 so I don't know whether Mark Hughes volunteered it or whether he was led into it by by the nature of journalist questions. I mean, blaming referees, and as you say, it's quite a tenuous blame game being played. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit tiresome. It is a bit tiresome. Um, and Mark Hughes seems to be one of those managers who sort of default setting seems to be to criticise the match officials. Sam Allardyce, on the other hand, seems to be talking like a pundit about the team he's actually managing. He said, I've never seen an Everton team give the ball away so much. Maybe that's slightly down to you, Sam. I think Sam Allardyce is in this weird state now, which I've seen happen before, where he becomes so sort of defensive about everything. I mean, I, I think he'll still lose his job. I know he said he's safe and he's going to be staying. I, I, being Sam Allardyce with his ego and just the way he is with the media, I don't think he could admit that he's worried about his job or that... I mean, I just can't see there's any way Everton keep him. And he, when he gets backed into a corner, when his style's being criticised, he becomes more Sam Allardyce, if that's if that's possible. So it's, it's extreme Sam Allardyce, you know, bigging himself up at every opportunity, playing the blame game. It just, yeah, it, it just changes. And I think it, it, it is when he's he's bruised, his sort of natural reaction is to do an ultra 
defence of his own achievements and methods. Ultra defensive like his teams. Yeah. Bournemouth won Swansea nil down on the south coast. Bournemouth safe now. Possibly the most forgettable team of this Premier League season, I would say, Bournemouth. But they only had three points after their first seven games. Credit to Eddie Howe. What what would it take for him to leave Bournemouth, do you think? That's a very good question, Tom. I don't know. I guess the problem you have when you're Eddie Howe, or it's very similar to Sean Dyche at Burnley, he is the king at Bournemouth. He could lose five games in a row. The fans won't get on his back. He won't be at risk of losing his job. It is it is Eddie Howe's Bournemouth. It's Sean Dyche's Burnley. Um, and there's always that risk, and you've seen it happen before, where managers leave this club where they've created something and built something and it all goes wrong for them in the next club. I think Eddie Howe is ambitious and I think he will leave eventually. It's it's not so much what's it going to take. It is, is he going to be given the opportunity to manage one of the, the big six clubs? I think it would probably take that for him him to go, would he go to Everton, for example? Would he go to Newcastle if, if Benitez left? I doubt it. I think he would probably, you know, will he get that chance? And, and I, I guess the risk always is that there will be no one willing to give him that opportunity. So he might be at Bournemouth for another 10 years. Could be quite the merry-go-round this summer, couldn't it? And another in a similar position is Chris Hewton at Brighton, who secured their safety as well with a 1-0 home win at Manchester United. Should someone take a chance on him? Do you think, did you see enough from him in the North East to suggest he could be he uh, is, at a higher level? Chris Hewton is one of my favourite people in football. He is, uh, and genuinely, genuinely I'm saying this now, he is one of the nicest people I've dealt with. A genuine, nice, really great person and proof that nice guys can succeed in football. How did that manifest itself? He's just got time for everyone. I mean, he's... He's just, you know, he's very loyal. So, you know, I dealt with him when I was on the local paper up in Newcastle. And I still speak to him now. He, he, you know, he's, he's got time for everybody. He's very honest. He's very upfront. He's just he's just got interest in you as a person rather than see you as just a, a journalist in, in press conferences. And he's of that, that personality obviously has the same impact on players that it did on on people in the media who know him well because his, his players seem to to really work for him they seem to be very loyal to him and he and he's done an absolutely wonderful job at Brighton will someone take a chance at him probably not i mean that's it just seems to happen time and time again Sean Dyche Eddie Howe Chris Hewton they probably all deserve a chance at a bigger club if Arsenal, for example, were to go for either of those three managers this summer, the fans would be underwhelmed, wouldn't they? Very possibly. Leicester nil, West Ham 2 up at the Theatre of Crisps. Hmm. Stick or twist for these two over the summer with their managers? I think I think West Ham will stick with Moyes. I think that might not be a particularly uh, exciting appointment, but I think he's probably done enough to be given another season, a uh, summer of recruitment. And there is always this idea with David Moyes that if he gets the time, he'll do what he did at Everton again. It's a risky, risky game because he bombed badly at Sunderland. But I think West Ham will probably just want that little bit of stability. The last thing they're going to want, I think, is managerial upheaval after everything that's gone on this season. So I would expect David Moyes to stay. Puyol, yeah, he's gone, isn't he? Au revoir, Claude. Finally, in the Premier League, it was Watford 2, Newcastle United 1. Newcastle still theoretically, Luke, for sale 
Rafa facing a fairly uncertain summer as well. What can you tell us? What's the latest? Can't see a takeover happening, so that this could be captured for prosperity when takeover is announced on Tuesday. I don't think the takeover is going to happen. I don't see any evidence to suggest that Amanda Staveley is any closer to buying the club now than she was. Why isn't there more interest? Well, you're dealing with Mike Ashley for a start, um, so that's, that brings its own difficulties. They're an, att- they're an attractive prospect. If you they are. They're, well, they're, I've said this time and time again. They're, of money they're the last Premier League club worth buying if you want to achieve something, if you want to build a club up and get momentum um, and challenge the, the top six. They are the last English club worth buying, but... Uh, the the problem now is for I mean if if Mike Ash is now looking for three hundred eighty four hundred million that's a lot of money F- then you've got to put the money in on top of that to turn Newcastle competitive you're looking at a billion pounds I think to investment to have any chance of Newcastle being bigger and better than they are now in a consistent top or in theory a consistent top six team so it's not a lot of people with a billion pounds just swilling around in a bank account dying to be splurged on a football club in the northeast. I would love a takeover to happen. It needs to happen. I think eventually it will happen, but I don't think it's going to happen this summer. The club remains for sale, but I, I just can't see it happening this summer. I, I have had a little bit of intelligence that there is interest from other groups, but it's very slow and it's very cautious and it's all very secretive. But there are sort of discussions going on in the background which may lead to something before the end of the year, but it's not going to happen this summer. Not so secretive anymore. Championship season was finished on Sunday. Cardiff clinched the second automatic promotion place. Remarkable eighth promotion for Neil Warnock. How does he keep doing it? It's an incredible job he's done at Cardiff because they they weren't tipped to, to do anything at the start of the season. It's a wonderful achievement for him. My fear will be as tends to be the pattern with Neil Warnock's career, that he'll be looking for a new job before Christmas when when Cardiff are in the bottom three. Would be a great shame. I think he deserves a decent crack at the Premier League this time. Fulham's 23-match unbeaten run, unexpectedly halted at Birmingham. Fulham will play in the playoffs there against Derby. It's Villa versus Middlesbrough in the other semi. Who do you fancy for promotion out of those four? Well, it's, I'd be worried if I was Fulham because they did this last season as well, didn't they? They were the form team going into the playoffs and then they lost to Reading. I would be a little bit worried about Fulham. I have a feeling that Aston Villa will be the team that go up. Not backing the boy Pulis? No, no. Steve Bruce has won promotion for the playoffs more times than any other manager. In the championship, sorry, the championship playoffs. Again, they've sort of faltered a little bit in recent weeks, Villa. But um, Steve Bruce has had a terrible time. He's lost both his parents in the last couple of months. Um, and I just feel there might be... It might be written in the stars, shall we say. Sunderland relegated, beating Champions Wolves 3-0. What a league the Championship is. Nowhere else would that happen. Do you think a brief stint in League One might not be such a bad thing for Sunderland? Wolves, Norwich and Man City have all spent a year down there and gone on to much better things. They have, yes, actually, yeah. There, there, There is that model. They've got a new owner, or they will do soon. We just don't know much about here about how much money they've got behind them. The running costs of that club are frightening. I mean, even with relegation clauses, cutting wages and stuff like that, they will they are hemorrhaging money. They're still paying for players they signed when they're in the Premier League. So all of the all of the parachute payments from the Premier League will be swallowed up. So everyone's gonna look at it and say, Well, it's unfair because Sunderland have got this huge parachute payment, which I remember was thrown at um, Wolves, I think, the last when when they were down. But that money will all go um on covering sort of instalment payments on players who've since left 
They've got a huge clearing out process to do. I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion that they will do well next season. They could actually be, it could actually take them a couple of years. The, encouragingly, Wigan and Blackburn have obviously done very well in, in League One after going down. They shouldn't struggle in League One, but there is a huge rebuilding job that needs to be done there. That club has lacked proper leadership at every level for far too long. And I think that the damage is severe and I think, you know, the scars are deep and it's going to be a long healing process. I'm pleased there's a new owner in and let's hope that this is the start of the upward cycle rather than the downward one. What do you know about the new owners? Very little, really. He's very keen. He A great uh, start. Well, he's it's very what, keen. It's what you want from a high-level businessman, keen. He's very keen. He comes from Eastleigh. So he, he, he tried to get Eastleigh into the Football League and he spent about £10 million trying to do that. Um, Eastleigh's been very well run apparently debt free very sensible so that's all encouraging but you know he's he's on Twitter he's wanting to sit and watch games with the fans I think the last owner to do that in the North East was a certain Mike Ashley uh, I'm always a bit suspicious of owners who want to go although actually Kent Teague does it at Leighton Orient the American guy who bought Orient and I think he's it's going to be a, a sharp learning curve for him because being the chairman of Eastleigh and then going to Sunderland in the mess they're in financially, that's a huge job. And my worry would be that they're they're backed by a lot of anonymous investors. Now, those investors have not invested money on the, oh, we great, we want to do wonderful things for the city of Sunderland and the marvellous people and the football club. They're in it to make money. So the worry will be, if they're not back in the Premier League on three or four years, which I, I assume will be the plan, they pull their money out. So it's good that Ellis Short's gone. He had to go. Disastrous owner appointed disastrous people to run the club for him. Uh, pleased he's gone. I just hope it's the the as I said the start of an upward cycle now because it's I mean Sunderland they're the only club who, who spent ten years in the Premier League and came down in a worse financial state than they were when they went up so disastrous they will be for the clubs who go down they will be the warning I mean it used to be Leeds didn't it we all don't turn into next Leeds well all these clubs going down I've got to hope to avoid doing a Sunderland no one wants to be the next Sunderland the Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Line Trust specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions remember investments can fall as well as rise a big week on Merseyside as Liverpool clinched a place in the Champions League final after squeaking past Roma by the entirely acceptable aggregate score of 7-6 Chris Bascom was in Rome for us Chris we ever concerned about the result in this tie I mean, I think you're concerned, uh, basically, uh, by the whole event. You know, I mean, you just what you. I think everybody, every Liverpool fan watching, would have said they just wanted the game to over have to be over the first minute. If you look over the whole game, Roma didn't really get close enough to, to make it look as though they were going to catch Liverpool. And obviously, because they scored the last kick of the game, it looked a bit closer than it was. I'm not sure the Roma fans ever felt at any point it was going to happen for them, but I think. Um, you know, Liverpool supporters have become accustomed to, to doing it the hard way and, and feeling away. They still did it the hard way, but I think over the course of the two legs, you know, I mean, Liverpool had one after 81 minutes, really, at Anfield, and it was just extraordinary that three five nil up after 81 minutes, they lost 6-2 in the next 99 minutes, but uh, they got there in the end, and it doesn't matter whether you do it 1-0 or 7-6, just get there. There were times during the second leg, especially, Chris, where I was screaming at Liverpool just to waste time and get on the ball and kill it off. Is that just not in Klopp's playbook? I think that's been something that has been levelled at Liverpool throughout this Klopp era, really, the game management side of it. You know, they get three up 
and it's now they need the crucial fourth. You know, they, they just don't seem to want to see the game. They just want to keep on pouring forward. I don't think they're ever going to be sad on the Jurgen Klopp that can do the, the whole Mourinho thing where, you, you know, you get yourself, or even what Chelsea have done to Liverpool, actually, on, on Sunday, as soon as Chelsea get themselves ahead. They're so organised. It's so difficult to, 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 to penetrate, to get beyond them and even create a chance. Liverpool just aren't made up that way. And, uh, you know, the, the, the pluses and minuses with that. On the plus side, it just makes it a thrilling ride, you know, during the course of the season. It's so entertaining to watch, but there's inevitable frustrations with that where I think they would probably have that top four well sorted by now if they had been a bit less careless, certainly in the first few months of the season and even recently at West Brom, you know, and those kind of games should have been seen out. But um, ultimately, if they come top four, if they can beat Brighton next week and, and win the Champions League, I think that's beyond anyone's expectations from the start of this season. Absolutely. Fairly quiet day for Mo Salah at Chelsea on Sunday. Does he look in need of a bit of a rest to you before the Champions well, League final? I think it's hard to make a judgment like that on the base against Chelsea. I mean, every time he gets the ball, he's got five men around him. Yes, I think I think when you've got the emotional high of Wednesday night, you, you just sensed it was going to be like that anyway. You know, Klopp doesn't really have much choice. He could. I think there was a school of thought that maybe he would, he would rest a few more at Chelsea and almost except it was all going to come down to the Brighton game, but he obviously felt he could get it done on Sunday. Hasn't worked out that way, but he's got a week off now, and I think it'll be a very fresh Liverpool next week, and it would be calamitous not to beat Brighton at home to, to secure Champions League. I think in a funny kind of way, it'll probably make the occasion better next week at Anfield, because I'm sure Klopp will be whipping up the crowd into this is a this is a Champions League qualifier just as important as Hoffenheim was in August, and... Um, you know, give give that team the send off it really deserves. After a really has been an amazing season, really to sort of get to the Champions League final and some great nights and some great performances along the way. So it is still a team in progress. I think I think that's what is exciting. This is not a finished product of the Liverpool side, and and they are achieving things, but they've just got a little bit more to further to go. Will it change anything up? Do you think for the game against Real Madrid, or will it be that same attacking style they take into the final? I think Liverpool can only play one way in that game. I think what's going to be interesting is what Real Madrid do. I, I think the teams that have caused Liverpool most problems are the sides that have done what Chelsea did on Sunday, what Manchester United, the previous side, to beat Liverpool in the Premier League did. It's it sides who play defensive and then try and use it, you know, the pace on, on the break. In United's case, it was Rashford with, with Chelsea. It's Hazard. You know, if Real Madrid decide to go toe to toe, look, you know, we're, we're Real Madrid, we play attacking football, we've got Ronaldo and Bale or whoever, and we're Banzema and we're going to go at you. In a funny kind of way, I think Liverpool will like that. It'll be kind of we'll live and die by our principles. I wonder whether Zidane will do what he did against Bayern Munich, which is actually try and invite Liverpool on and, and hit Liverpool on the counter attack, which would be a huge show of respect to what Liverpool have done in this competition, but. I think it's more likely Real Madrid will be considering whether to play that kind of way than Liverpool make any change. Not sure many people would pick Kiev as the place to go for a big European final. Do you think that's going to put off many Liverpool fans from travelling? Absolutely no chance. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't matter where this game was. You know, it wouldn't matter where this game was played. I mean, from what I'm hearing already, it sounds like a lot of the Real Madrid, in the sense that a lot of the Real Madrid fans aren't necessarily the greatest travellers, and when you've won it two years on the run and going for your third and oh maybe they might be a bit more blasé about it you know for Liverpool supporters it can often be seen as a, a once in a generation opportunity Real Madrid will probably think they'll be there in a few more years time you know 
Liverpool fans know it's 2007 was the last final, 2005 the last win. It's still pretty good, track record, but um, now if, if Liverpool could sell 50,000 tickets, they would be sold in a week. Ahead of the second leg against Roma, Chris Klopp lost his right-hand man, Zelko Buvac. Some suggestion it was related to an approach from Arsenal. What can you tell us about that story? Well, I can only tell you that when he went, my information was it absolutely nothing to do with um, any approach from another club. So I'd be very surprised if there was much in that Arsenal story. I wonder whether it's more a case of if he's now available, Arsenal would be interested because obviously there is a relationship with the new Arsenal I think he's a sporting director, one of the main directors who's gone in at Arsenal. So from the Dortmund days, and I think if Zelko becomes available, there will be top clubs looking at him. Um, but I don't believe that was anything behind his, his exit from Liverpool. No, I think it was a little bit more complex than that. I, I just think it was a case of things hadn't been the intentions there, and coming up to a big game. You know, you have to understand the kind of pressures everybody's in, especially before going to Rome. And it was decided, I think, as much by Klopp as Zelko, maybe just um, have a bit of space from each other and we'll see what happens. I'd be surprised if he does go back to the pool. Perhaps he's in line for a dramatic return and an unexpected trip to Kiev. Thanks very much for joining us, Chris. No problem at all. Time for your Hero of the Week, and it was a big weekend for Rochdale, who looked destined for a return to the familiar surroundings of League Two until Joe Thompson scored the only goal of the game, against Charlton Athletic. It was Thompson's first goal for the club since being given the all-clear from cancer, so he saved his club, who began the day in the relegation places. Luke, what's your favourite ever last-ditch great escape from relegation? I do. I think it tells what we've talked about Sunderland there. It has to be when a crestfallen, distraught, crushed Gus Poyet with his arms outstretched like that in a press conference. You can't see that, obviously, because it's a podcast, but I've got my arms outstretched. I'm looking to the heavens. Can confirm this. And he said... We need a miracle now. And sure enough, sure enough, Sunderland had a miracle. I think they won three of their four last, three out of the four last games, uh, including uh, they overdrew at Chelsea and beat Manchester City the other way around. Quite incredible. They were doomed. And Gus Poirier called for a miracle and it happened. And now they're playing Rochdale next year. That's all from Total Football for this week. If you've got something urgent to say to me, why not head to twitter.com? I am at Tom with an H Gibbs. It's never too late to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Total Football on Apple Podcasts or your preferred digital audio stockist. We'll be back with you next week in time for your Monday morning commute. The national anthem of Total Football is Right the Relation by Polvo. Buy the album it's from at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week, Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again, if you like rugby.